You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode, we'll focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, we're back with episode 40, and we're taking this whole show steering this whole ship in a new direction this week the entire history of this podcast has been best and speaking of bests we have an email chris this one comes from friend of the podcast tess uh and it's in response to our last bracket the best disney broadway song um so strap in because it's a good one it's a good one here all right so tess says hey guys here's my rant on newsies that nobody asked for well we asked for it because we want everybody to email us. It's a, this is exactly what we have this inbox for. She goes on, I didn't watch the film until I was probably 10 and I don't remember much of it. I watched it again with fellow listener Mandy when our fellow castmates from our local community theater production, Guys and Dolls, were having a Newsies movie night. From that night on, I have fallen in love with the music and the dancing of the show. There's, there's this bit in the film when they run, jump, spin, hug... Uh, that I have held close to my heart since that night. Speaking as an amateur, she puts in all caps, <laughs> choreographer, it has always been a silent guilty pleasure dream of mine and was a dream long before it actually hit Broadway to be a choreographer of this show. Oh, big dream. Wow. Uh, large dance numbers speak to me, especially with male dancers. When this show hit New York, I was overjoyed. Having never been to New York, I didn't have plans to go anytime soon. I had to wait for it to tour and it came to san francisco when i lived there to say it made my dreams come true would be an understatement i realized this gives me an incredible amount of bias and i knew it <laughs> i knew going into this i would feel a lot of bias in this bracket due to my love for musicals in general my love for shows i've seen or been in and especially my love for newsies i agree with julia that seize the day is a true anthem it hits you right in the fields in the beginning and gets you and the rest gets you on your feet has beautiful harmonies and brilliant dancing, has everything I could ever want in a Broadway number. I love the reprise as well. And then she links to a, a YouTube video that we can post slash watch on our own. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, if anything was going to beat out Newsies, it could only be The Lion King, so I'm not that mad. I remember seeing the show at the Orpheum in San Francisco with tears streaming down my face with pure joy and awe during Circle of Life as it as I gave a standing ovation at the end, I sincerely thought that the number alone made the ticket price worth it and I could walk out right then. Obviously, I didn't. It's a damn good show. So the number one seed kept its crown and it was definitely worthy of it. I just needed to express my love for an amazing show and my favorite song from it. Thanks for another amazing bracket, Tess. Yeah, see, I didn't know Newsies was something that people were like very into until we did this but apparently so first of all tess needs to get more specific about what scene she's talking about because the entire movie is jumping and dancing and spinning and hugging <laughs> second of all yeah people p 
people ride hard for Newsies, and I, I'm like you. I saw it as kind of like a hidden gem type of thing, but I guess the real ones know. <laughs> yeah, and Tess is a real one, and I relate to Tess when she says she saw the Lion King at the Orpheum because that's where I saw it too. So I know exactly the same feeling she was going through. So if you had a emotional response to any of our brackets, be like Tess. Go ahead and send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. We'll read them like this on the show. Uh, and Tess, thanks for writing in. Really appreciate it. Chris, now it's time to flip the switch. We've done the best Pixar short. We've done the best animated movie. We've done the best Disney hero. Um, when we were on the search for another co-host, uh, our co-host brought us into a completely different realm. This week, we are going with the saddest Pixar moment. And to help us decide which moment that is, we are bringing on our friend, our first-time guest host, Kyle Madsen. Kyle, welcome to Mouse Madness. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm very happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. <laughs> yeah, you had reached out saying that you wanted to be a guest host on this podcast. Which I've so. never done in the history of podcasts. I've never been like, I want to be on your podcast. I've never <laughs> done that. And then I saw the concept for this one, and I was like, I need to do that. I really want to do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So what about the concept really intrigued you? Was it, Are you a big Disney guy? I, you're obviously in the sports world, uh, working for radio station up here in Sacramento. But uh, what, what was intriguing about this that you wanted to join in? Uh, the idea of, like you said, just brackets in general are very fun. But I'm a big Disney fan. I have been my whole life. And the idea of debating various disney things sounded like a blast we'll let you make the decision of whether or not it is a blast at the end of all of this because <laughs> uh we hope your love for disney stays intact because who knows who knows what emotional journey you might go through on this episode and to help us along that journey we of course had to pick up some spoonfuls of sugar kyle skinner what's in your cup this week I am back at Trader Sam's, everybody. I dipped back into the Trader Sam's recipe book, and I am drinking the Hippopotamai Tai, which I don't know if I've done on the show before, but it also would surprise me if I hadn't. So uh, if I have, sorry, and if I haven't, here's the recipe. It is an ounce of lime juice, half an ounce of agave nectar, half an ounce of orgit syrup, half an ounce of orange curacao, an ounce of dark rum, and an ounce of white rum. Shake it on up and you have essentially what is a Mai Tai. It's just a lot sweeter than your normal Mai Tai. And they decided to throw in a little extra rum. So can't go wrong with that. It's going to keep me nice and toasty for this uh, <laughs> saddest moment bracket and it might influence some tearing up, I think. So I'm excited for this one. Chris, what is your spoonful of sugar this week? Well, this week we had the MLB draft. We also are working our way towards the end of getting all of this 2020 baseball season stuff figured out. Uh, so I'm feeling baseball-y, and I went back to my favorite local New York brew. I got the pinstripe pills. He's back. <laughs> Sipping some of that Bronx bomber goodness. <laughs> Kyle Madsen, what do you got over there? Uh, I'm sticking with wine tonight. I have a whole bottle that I opened just for this show. I expect to get through it during during this recording. It's called a, a Barbera from Herringer Estates uh, out here in Sacramento. But because of the 
the nature of this show, I'm calling it the Pixar Barra instead of the Barbera. And so that's there what you I'm go. Well, there surely will be lots of whining on this episode. I can guarantee you that. Uh, speaking of whiners, Kyle Skinner, <laughs> we found a amazing demographic to ask about sad Pixar things because we found these folks on Twitter to be very sad people. Yeah, and uh, I'd like to call out, you're just the king of segues this episode. I'm loving it. You're bringing that energy, Chris. It's really good. It's fantastic. Really strong. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of whiners out there in the world this this time of year, and specifically because the Disney parks are beginning to open again. So there's a lot of uh, question up in the air of how it's all going to happen. There's a lot of projects that the parks have been going through that people are concerned if they're going to get done or not. And just this week, we found out that Cinderella's Castle over at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom is getting a whole new paint job, everybody. Brand new paint job. Ooh, wow. <laughs> so, so if you if, if you remember when Disneyland's got theirs, their castle got a new paint job with the more intense blue roofs, a little bit more intense pinks on the walls, new stonework. Think that and just apply it right to Disney World's castle, Cinderella's castle, because it's essentially the same color scheme. And people, surprisingly, but not at all, are very upset with <laughs> this new look i didn't know you could get mad about like paint swatches like this is the most insignificant change i've ever seen at a disney park and people are like furious the parks are finally open and yet people are still upset with something so anyway <laughs> yeah exactly and so we we went online because we're still sheltering in place here and uh the interns went ahead and contacted the people that they found were having a bit of a negative sentiment around the new color scheme of cinderella's castle over at walt disney world and from that we found a bracket of 16 of pixar's saddest moments but Pixar is known for being pretty sad, and so there are a few that did not crack the top 16, and those are those that missed the dance. Chris, what is your first miss the dance submission? Well, I have a few because, like you said, this is a common thing for Pixar. You know, Pixar being sad is really kind of like trademark Pixar. So uh, I found that some moments that people think of when they think of sad Pixar maybe aren't necessarily sad. They're just kind of like emotionally heavy. Uh, so one of those is the space dance in Wally when Wally and Eve got like the fire extinguishers and they're like flying around the outside of the Axiom. Not necessarily a sad moment, but definitely one that, oh, it's, it's a little touching. You know, you got this very pure friendship between these two robots and just witnessing the beauty of the universe uh, from up above. Is that the most also, rewatchable scene in Wally? Oh, <laughs> well, far. because I feel I like I talk watched Wally once but... and I'm good. Like I'm set. <laughs> but that space dance scene is great. Yeah. Wally <laughs> is definitely two movies in one. Yes. It's like the, the no dialogue, just beautiful images. Um, like a drawn out short almost. And then there's like the weird stuff with the obese people in hover chairs. Um, <laughs> but that's a conversation for a different episode. I've also got the ending of 
the first Cars movie where Lightning McQueen helps the king across the finish line. <laughs> He's trying to like reclaim his spot atop the standings in the Piston Cup. Uh, the king crashes in his final race and Lightning lets the jerk car guy chip whatever mm-hmm. uh, and then helps the king. And it's like a very redemptive moment for Lightning McQueen, but uh, it's not sad. It's happy. And then, of course, uh, we've got the dead volcano in lava <laughs> when of they're course. singing. Dude. And I, I don't want to talk about it. Lava is banned from this podcast. So <laughs> the fa- if you, you either know it or you don't. The fact that that is Miss the Dance speaks to Pixar's ability to tear your heart out from the root. Because Absolutely. it's soul crushing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! All right. Well, speaking of Pixar shorts, my first miss of the dance is Wind. This is a Pixar Spark short, and I was not ready for how depressing this short was. If you haven't seen it, I'm gonna spoil it for you. So go ahead and and fast forward probably about a minute. Um, it takes place in space, obviously in a in a dystopian future of ours. Um, this Next grandma, month. yeah, yeah, this is <laughs> July 2020, and this <laughs> grandma and her grandson live on this like rock or like, yeah, asteroid that's floating through space. But there's like an opening that they they can see, and it's the the sunlight comes through, and it's like, are they underground? Are they in space? And this is a portal to a new world. Anyways, kid builds a rocket ship. And he takes off and he ties up grandma to the string and is going to bring her up with him. And grandma knows that she can't go along with him or else the rocket ship is not going to make it. So she lets him go by himself and he makes it through this portal into what is like the current world. And he and the string comes up with them with no grandma on the other end. And he looks down through the portal and grandma's like on the rock, like waving goodbye and it's just like, oh my gosh. Gut wrenching, dude. Yeah, it's so sad. Gosh. So if you really want to like make sure you still feel something, go ahead and watch that spark short because it'll make you feel something. It's so good. It's yeah, it's I all the spark shorts are fantastic, but this one was like, oh my gosh. And then my second and last one is something we've talked about before on this podcast. It is Woody's Toys Before Boys moment toys before boys in toy story 4 when uh woody decides to run off with Bo instead of hang with the homies uh, and hop back into bonnie's rv honestly like and i'm gonna talk about this in this bracket we've been through it with these toys already so this is not sad compared to where we've been with these guys and even at that moment you're like okay like <laughs> some of us are glad the movie's over some of us are just like glad the saga's ending because the fourth kind of erased what was the third. And it's just like, of course, what he's going to choose Bo. He's like thought about Bo for three straight movies now. Like, all right, go, go. It's fine. Um, I still turned up though. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was, it was still like a moment that we all had, but in comparison to these other 16, it just missed the dance for these people, and it's understandably so. Chris, I think it's time. It's time to announce the field of 16 and hop into round one. So let's go ahead and cue the dramatic music. And here we go. 
taking the top seed from Toy Story 2. It's the When She Loved Me sequence. Coming in at the number two spot, it's Ellie's Death from Up. Coming in at number three from Coco, the Remember Me reunion. At the number four seed from Toy Story 3, it's the moment when Andy gives up his toys to Bonnie. With the number five seed from Finding Nemo, Coral's death. Here at number six from Inside Out, it is the death of Bing Bong. Coming in at number seven from Monsters, Inc., the shredding of Boo's door. At the number eight spot from The Good Dinosaur, the moment when Arlo's dad dies. Coming in at number nine, from Onward, Barley hugging his father goodbye. The number 10 seed from Toy Story 3, the toy's near-death experience. Coming in at number 11, from Finding Nemo, Dory begging Marlin to stay with her. Coming in at number 12, from the short bow, moment when mom eats Lil Bow Bow. Coming in at number 13 from Toy Story. And I will go sailing no more. Coming in at number 14 from Wally, Wally's memory erasure. Coming in at number 15 from Cars 3, it's Lightning's Crash. And rounding out our top 16 and the saddest Pixar moment bracket from the movie Brave. Merida fails to change her mom back from a grizzly bear. Okay, Kyle Madsen. Who among us? What, <laughs> what are your reactions here? What, what, what's popping out at you? So, there's... Alright, so we, we talked earlier about wind and the, and, the, and the short wind and how mm-hmm. gut-wrenchingly sad that is. That belongs on this bracket. I'm just... Yeah. just based on some of these other ones I'm seeing, especially... A moment like uh, Lightning McQueen's crash. It's right. at the start of the movie. And right. honestly, it was a really good metaphor for what should have happened to Cars 3. So, <laughs> so uh, I think, but other than that, I, I think this is a, a really strong list where like what, 1 through 16 has a shot. Yeah, I think when you're told like choose the saddest Pixar moment, a lot of people don't think of spark shorts. Yeah. Mostly because unless before Disney Plus, unless you were really in the Disney community and you knew they were putting these things on YouTube, right. you'd have no idea this was even happening. So I don't blame them, but you're completely correct in that wind should be up in the top five of the saddest moments, but it's not. And we have our top 16, Chris. Yeah, and I agree that timing of a lot of these moments has a lot to do with how impactful they are, but we'll talk about that as we go along. Let's go ahead and get started with our first matchup. Kyle Skinner, I know you're a big When She Loved Me guy. I'm going to let you start off here. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. All right. We are talking the number one seed, When She Loved Me, uh, Jesse being abandoned moment from Toy Story 2 versus number 16, Merida's uh, doesn't change her mom back from grizzly bear when she loved me is <laughs> the perfect song for <laughs> for abandonment oh <laughs> my 
gosh. <laughs> they, I don't know. Uh, uh, well, I do know. Okay, so this song is sung by Sarah McLaughlin. And when in my adult life remembered that this song existed in this movie, I was like, wow. Pixar is such a genius for like connecting Sarah to the sad moment because we're all aware that Sarah's in the arms of an angel is connected to like abandoned animals, right? Like rescue animals. It's the same. Like, it's the same thing. It's I was the, like it's the exact same thing. However, those commercials didn't start coming out until 10 years after Toy what? Story 2. So there was no connection there. If anything, ASPCA figured out that Sarah's voice is connected to abandonment from Toy Story 2 and said, Throw, uh, connect that to some puppies because we're going to sell a lot of ASPCA memberships. So this moment between uh, Woody and Jesse is Jesse explaining what happened to her, why she's here with in Al's department getting ready to be shipped off to Tokyo with the rest of the collection from Woody's Roundup. And you learn that... Uh, she went through the growing up of a child. So her person, Emily, essentially grew out of playing with dolls. And you see the transition from being a a younger girl who's into like the kind of cowboy and cowgirl scene into being more into like makeup and music. And Jesse gets thrown under the bed. The the this song is so great for this moment because it's really just like a piano and Sarah singing, which really makes you focus on the action of the scene being accompanied by this very somber tune about how everything was great when she loved me, how uh, everything, I was so happy. I made her happy. Uh, if anything was wrong, at least we had each other. Um, this song, I don't know if you, either of you knew this, but it's it's very obviously written by Randy Newman. He did all the Toy Story movies. But this song was originally supposed to be sung by him. Mm. And this would have been a completely different scene if Randy was singing the song. It would not have had the same effect. His goofy voice would have completely ruined the moment of the song. Do you think um, there's a recording out there somewhere of him singing this song? So there's a demo of him singing the song. And I encourage everybody to Google and look it up because, like, it's exactly what you think it is. It's, <laughs> does he it, do like a this, like a baseline? It's like boing 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 hey, boing. Hey, does this does that moment even make the bracket if Randy Newman's singing it? Right. I think it does. I, I think it still does. I bet I, it's lower than a two seat though. I I think yeah, I, it's lower. It would be lower, but Randy Newman has range. That guy is. <laughs> That guy is talented. And we'll talk about Randy singing sad songs in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it, and so Jesse gets abandoned by Emily on the side of the road on a countryside. Like, I don't know about you, but I've never just, like, thrown a box of toys out to, yeah, like, and a, I, I grew littering. up in a country town. Yeah, it's like, yeah, how irresponsible <laughs> of Emily and her mom to just drop off this box of toys like that. And that, and she drives away, and Jesse's heart is absolutely shattered, and your heart is shattered for Jesse, and it's just such a depressing sequence of three and a half minutes that you have to go through with her. In uh, Brave, on the other side, number sixteen, 
she follows all the rules that she needs to in order to turn her mom back, brings her back to the spot where her mom can re- be released from this grizzly bear form. And it doesn't happen. And Merida kind of tells her mom how much she loves her and how she's sorry for being such like a, a bad teenage daughter and that she recognizes her mom did everything for her and always put her first. And like, that's that's a theme that kind of evokes itself throughout this bracket is like either parents reconciling with their kids or kids reconciling with their parents. And that's such a strong emotional thing that we can all relate to. I think just coming from parents or even being parents, like you always want to be doing the best for your kid and you always want to impress or do the best for your parent. And you never want to like let them down or make them sad or, you know, and that just like that hurts. And so this, that's what this moment is here. And at the end, Oh, uh Oh, she says, I love you. And, and mom's not a bear anymore. So it's a really quick turnaround from like a very somber, sad moment into relief that mom's not a grizzly bear. Also, she didn't care that her brothers were grizzly bears. They were just kicking it over there, still in their bear form. (laughs) But no, it's all about mom here. Everybody forget the brothers. Uh, Chris, this is it's when she loved me that that sequence is just so heartbreaking because you're building 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 and then you're you get slowly let down and then you have this rediscover moment where emily finds jesse from under the bed and you're like yes jesse could be put back up on a shelf somewhere obviously we know she doesn't because otherwise she wouldn't be telling the story but you don't think she's gonna be abandoned on the side of the road so this moment accompanied by sarah mclaughlin's angelic voice moves on past the number 16 seed. Kyle, I hate to make this first round matchup take too long, but I'm going to make it take a long time because I think uh, it's worth discussing here. I agree with everything you said. I think to create a backstory for a character, give them some motivation to explain the way that they are, that is done perfectly here. Amazing. It's effective. It's emotional. I love it. I think Toy Story 2 would be a worse movie without it. I think Jesse would be a worse character without it. Here's something we have to consider while we're going through this bracket. Sad moment, in my opinion, is going to be a little bit more subjective than our best brackets because our best ones, you can break it down. You can look at it really analytically you can kind of take a non-bias approach sometimes, but a lot of the sad ones, it's like it's either sad or it's not sad. And so you use the word abandonment to describe this scene, and I think that's definitely what this is dealing with. I personally have never had a fear of abandonment. I'm lucky that I've never experienced any kind of trauma like that firsthand. Uh, So this scene doesn't really resonate with me emotionally like it does, I think, some people. I just don't really think it's that sad. The other thing that is working against this scene for me is that that theme of toy abandonment is present throughout the Toy Story franchise. It's Mm -hmm. in Toy Story 1, it's in Toy Story 2, it's in Toy Story 3, it's in Toy Story 4, it's in Woody, it's in Lotso, it's in Wheezy, it's in Jesse. So, like, once we've seen all these Toy Story movies and we look back on this When She Loved Me sequence, 
it doesn't really feel super special because it's just the same concept. I would say this sequence does abandonment better than any of those other times these movies try to tackle it. But um, I don't know. It just doesn't really feel super special. So let's talk about Brave. We haven't really done a deep dive into Brave yet, and we kind of skirted over it a little bit in the best Pixar bracket. And admittedly, I was pretty agreeable early on in the history of this podcast, but, um, you know, I am not going to be bullied into the way I think any longer. (laughs) And I would just like to say that Brave is a top five Pixar movie. Whoa, um, man. It's really, really an extremely well done movie, well written Uh, This moment is a really big reason why I think uh, that it's so great. So I don't want to spend too much time like digging into Brave because that's not really what we're talking about. Um, There's some good themes here. Um, A couple of them are themes that are really mishandled in Onward. And I know it's not Pixar, but a couple of the themes in Brave that they really nail are themes that are kind of brushed under the rug in Moana. So I'm saying Brave is better than Onward and Moana. uh, And I will stand by that. But uh, Wow! But yeah. let's go let's go Holy back to the sad smokes. moment, okay? <laughs> so again, this is completely subjective here. So, uh, I understand yeah. that not everyone has the same type of relationship with their parents or parental yep. guardians. Right. And um you know, some people don't have parental figures and guardians in their lives. Um so uh it's again, it's subjective. Um but at some point children develop some disdain or resentment towards their parents in some way. It happens to all of us that have those types of figures in our lives. And it's a really complicated situation because it is two-sided. You have the child who like kind of wants to hurt the parent, but doesn't want to hurt them too bad. And then you have the parent who is like confused about this new kind of like dynamic that's developing. And, and they just want the best for their child. They just want to keep them safe. Um, and so the way that this moment at the end of Brave and this this conflict, uh, the way that it has two sides, I think makes it more effective than When She Loved Me. And uh, if we want to talk about like film school 101 and intro to filmmaking fundamentals, this is the all is lost moment in Brave. This is the moment where it seems like the conflict did not get resolved. The hero did not get what they wanted in the movie and all good movies have a good all is lost moment where they kind of trick the audience and brave lingers on it for just long enough some movies like breeze through it but i think brave hangs on to it and you really feel the implication of that failure for merida to turn her mother back she's got that personal um like guilt that she has to deal with. She's got the political implications that she's going to have to deal with. And then when the mom eventually does change back from a bear, it makes that moment so much sweeter because we saw that darkness. We saw how impactful that could be. So it resonates me a lot stronger than when she loves me does. Um, Like I said, that scene definitely does have a lot of great stuff going but the story implications also not not as impactful in When She Loved Me. So I, I have the upset here with Brave. <laughs> I have Merida wow. not getting wow. uh, Eleanor turned back into the queen, but I have a feeling I'm going to get shot down. So I just wanted to just drop hey, that Brave bomb I, in there. Hey, I respect that. 
a lot because I think wow. I think it's all valid for sure. All right, Kyle Madsen, that means you're breaking the tie right off the top. Who you got moving on? All right, can I can I explain real quick? I want to start with the the 16 seed. I agree. I personally have have a wonderful relationship with my mom, and I never take that for granted. But the idea of taking that for granted, and my mom not ever understanding like how much I love her is like that hurts like like with capital H but from a movie standpoint the when she loved me scene is so heavy where like if I'm watching Toy Story 2 like if it's just on TV or if somebody I know is watching it I'll exit for that scene because (laughs) I don't want the weight of that just sitting on my chest like that's what it is it's just it it's long it's drawn out and it just it's this weight that just slowly sinks into your soul and then just sits there. Yeah. And and it ties into everything Jesse does as a character. So I I have when she loves me moving on, but with a with a very healthy respect for uh the the hurt that Merida was feeling in that moment in Brave. Well, you know, that was expected. I want to spend 2 seconds on putting Brave above Moana. And Disney <laughs> okay, because, so, dude, I, I have, so, I, I'm I'm Moana guy who's just like, yeah, Moana is just a great movie. Like, take Disney, take all that away from it. Moana in itself is a fantastic movie. I'll watch it anytime. Like, throw it on and I'm watching it. I don't quite feel that way with Brave. So, so for that, that was that was fire. All right, so I've been defeated, but let's go ahead and talk about our next matchup here. We've got the number eight seed, Arlo's dad's death. And the good dinosaur versus the number nine seed Barley hugging his father at the end of Onward. All right, let's go back to film school, guys. Let's talk some more film theory 101, okay? Do it. All is lost moment. Great time to have a sad moment. The inciting incident. Also a good time to have a sad moment. But let's not confuse the two. The inciting incident in a movie is what kicks off the action. In the good dinosaur... Them discovering Spot is the inciting incident, but Henry's death is like inciting incident 2.0. It's like you start a story with once upon a time, there was a dinosaur walking around with his dad until the dad died. And then the movie starts. Another great example of this. Once upon a time, there was a little lion named Simba. And every day he loved his father until one day his dad died in a stampede. Okay, that is an inciting incident. And I'm going to lump these two moments together. (laughs) And I'm going to say neither of these moments are sad. And I'll tell you why. It's because when the death is the inciting incident, you're not supposed to weep over the character who dies. You're supposed to connect with the hero in this moment. This is supposed to be you empathizing. It's supposed to be you developing that relationship with the hero that you're supposed to get through the rest of the movie. And hopefully the saddest moment in the movie will be that all is lost moment at the end. So I don't find Henry's death in The Good Dinosaur to be very oh. emotionally difficult to oh deal with. Gosh. Like, and this, I mean, it's the same thing with the When She Loved Me thing. And like I said, Mufasa, like it's sad seeing a character die and like a kid's father die. Like, yes, yeah. that's sad, but like it doesn't, <laughs> It doesn't hang on you like like some of these other things do. Now, I have said in the past that Onward is awful, and it is. But this um, 
this hugging the dad thing, I mean, it's not the worst thing about Onward. It, it's a very, like, overwhelming scene. Um, and, like, the moment is very diluted when Barley is the one who hugs the father. Yeah. And also the lead up to that moment <sighs> is just a bunch. It's so much nonsense with the the dragon that's so cartoonish and like not intimidating at all because they tried to do too yeah. much. Uh, yeah. And and here's, and, and like, you don't get to see it either. Like you don't get to see the conversation they're having. Uh, it's like from Ian's perspective inside a pile of rubble. Um, <laughs> and, and so I'm going to go with this barley thing uh, for this round. Um, just because I think on the surface, it's probably more sad and and let's point out that Barley has already had to witness his father die. This is the second time Barley has to watch his father die. Yeah. So uh, yeah. we get a, we he's got to relive that trauma again. Which uh, it's pretty. It's like it's it's a bittersweet moment because you're happy because Barley gets to see his dad. You're sad because he ha- has to say goodbye again, and it's the only chance he gets. So in my notes, I say that Barley has to see dad die again, like. Barley's only like memories of dad is very slim to begin with. And it's mostly what his mom has told him. And he has these very few sparks of moments that he remembers with his dad. And then he literally, like literally a spark of a moment with his dad at the end of this one as well. So I have in my notes as well that he had, he has to relive the trauma that he already experienced. And like, and as an audience, you know that because the entire movie is just guided by Barley's knowledge of who his dad is. Like, the entire movie and the dialogue between him and Ian, like, it's up to this moment. You're like, oh, finally, like, we get to see Dad. And it's 30 seconds of glowing light. Um, I don't appreciate the slander of Arlo's dad dying. Because that moment, Chris, it's, it's way, I think, and go ahead and tweet at me your, your hate for this. <laughs> It's it's sadder than Mufasa dying to me. Wow. Only because in this moment, like, they finally, Arlo and his dad finally, like, have this moment of connection to each other. Because all Arlo wants to do is, like, impress his dad and be accepted by his dad, but he doesn't feel like he is. And his dad opens up and is like, you are enough. Like, I love you. You are enough. You don't have to be what you think I want you to be. You just need to be yourself. They have that moment 30 seconds before Arlo's dad gets swept away by this flash flood, right? So not only that, but Arlo's dad sees the water, turns back and looks Arlo in the eyes and gets swept away. That split second of him like looking, looking back, making eye contact, knowing what's going to happen and getting swept away, that's heartbreaking. That is absolutely heartbreaking. And what's even more heartbreaking, Chris, is that we don't even need to see how Arlo reacts because we know how Arlo's reacting. He's a sensitive character as it is, so you know he's absolutely crushed. The scene black out, blacks out and then returns to a <laughs> scene of his dad's grave overlooking their farmland. And you're just like... Now in your mind, you're forced to think about this funeral that probably had happened for this dad and like how he left the three kids behind with the mom. And now they're all making this farm happen 
on their own. And it was just like, the movie is awful. But that moment, that scene is just, I just remember in, being in the theater like, oh my goodness, this is so depressing. It's sad. I think it's, it's very sad. But the fact that like Onward's journey culminated to this moment and Barley had to relive his trauma and you see him kind of be deflated after his dad disappears again. It's sad. So we're going to move that along. Uh, Kyle, we know, go ahead. I've always said like, like I was very close with my grandfather and he passed away Mm -hmm. seven years ago. People say like, I would give anything to spend one more day with it. I'm like, nah, because I've had to have that person go already. And the idea right. of having to lose that person a second time is gut- like, like do- I want no parts of that. And so yeah. the idea of having to experience that is is something that I, I want no parts of. Also, I feel like the sad, the sadness of a moment gets ticked up at the end of a movie versus like 100%. in the good good yeah. dinosaur where yes. it happens at the beginning. Because yeah, it's it's yeah. still very it's still very sad. But you know, like, all right, there's a whole movie and the rest of the plot kind of takes away the sting of that moment. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's an ex- an exception to that coming up a little bit later. Um, <laughs> but uh, the the that that's why for me, um, uh, Barley hugging his dad gets the gets the yeah. dub here. The, the, the right, win. Yeah. <laughs> gets that first round win. Yeah. Congrats on being sad. All right, let's move on to the next round. We have the number four. Andy gives his toys away to Bonnie at the end of Toy Story 3 versus the number 13, I Will Go Sailing No More, the scene where Buzz leaps off the balcony in the first (laughs) Toy Story movie. Um, I referenced this at the beginning where we talked about Sarah McLaughlin singing the sad song that Randy Newman wrote. Would it be as sad if Randy Newman sang it? Well, everybody we get randy newman (laughs) singing what is supposed to be a pretty emotional moment in toy story buzz realizes he's not a toy that's the scene he sees his own commercial he doesn't believe it so he's like i'm gonna go test it out i know i can fly i know i'm a a real space ranger tries to jump out a window doesn't work out his arm becomes dislocated and he's laying on the ground and the camera pans it away from him. It comes off. He has lost. It's everything. behind him. It's yeah. a farewell to arms, but like you. Edition. And like I said, you have Randy Newman singing, I will go sailing no more, which for whatever reason, maybe it's just the sound mixing in this movie. You don't quite get what anything that Randy Newman sang in that part at least to me, um, it sounds like a bunch of gibberish, but it's also Randy Newman. So that could just be his voice <laughs> and how he's enunciating these words in the song. The scene also leads to one of my favorite moments in Toy Story. The It's the fall of Buzz and the rise of Mrs. Nesbitt. Yes. <laughs> I love Mrs. Nesbitt Buzz. He's That's the best version of Buzz in all of these movies. <laughs> um so let's go ahead and talk about number four, uh, Andy giving his toys away. What makes this moment so heavy? So there's another moment from this movie that we all recognize and we know, and the toys almost died. Uh, 
But this moment was supposed to be kind of the bow being tied up on the Toy Story saga, yeah. right? Yes. Uh, especially watching it through our eyes, many of us grew up in the same progression with Andy, the same years. Like yeah. at the time that he's going to college, a lot of us were going to college. Yeah. Um, so it was a, a really emotional moment because one, you knew this was the end of the movie, which in your eyes was the end of Toy Story basically forever, which is a sad thing because it's a great series. Two, also, he has to, we're watching Andy actually say goodbye to his, like, who were his friends all these years. Um, what's interesting, though, is I don't think that's the sad part. Like, Andy doesn't know these toys. Andy had, like, fun moments playing with these toys in certain situations but like we the audience know who these toys are he doesn't know these toys come alive so like is the moment sad because andy has to give up his toys or is the moment sad because we know that it's the end for the for like us with these toys and so that's what i was struggling with this entire time with this pick because i don't think it's the andy i think it's us knowing like this is it like Andy giving away is us giving away the series. Can I add something onto that? I think yeah. it's also sad for the toys who have spent three movies trying to fight their way Back to, to be him. with Andy, yes. mm-hmm. to be there for him all the time. And sure. I, he's not abandoning him, but it's like no. sad for us to see these toys who would do anything for him. Just like, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, perfect into my point about this movie or this the scene is when woody says so long partner and you just see kind of like oh not necessarily it's not relief but like he's accepted the closing of this chapter but he's also very sad to see andy go and then like a flip of the switch they're like okay on to like being friends with this new girl and we're gonna put that same energy that we put into being Andy's friend into being Bonnie's friend. Um, and then like, I don't know what sparked tears more that moment or when the camera pans up to the clouds to evoke how this whole saga began. And it just slaps you in the face with like, we just bookended this it's so meta. nicely for yeah, you all. It's a little meta for sure. It, it is. And I love it. Oh God, that moment is just so touching and nice. I feel like there's so a lot nice. of Toy Story 4 shade happening as you're saying. Well, it just ruined the saga. It just ruined everything. It's not a real, it's not a real movie. Come it should have just been like one of their shorts that was just like a side story that we all went. Though, I mean, they wanted to sell Forky, yeah, yeah. Forky merch. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Uh, yeah, I get For, it. Forky's incredible. It's a great character. But, like, it's a Forky origin film, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We. I wish it wasn't named Toy Story 4 and it was just Forky goes west or whatever. For, forky colon creation. <laughs> a Toy Story saga. What is it? A, a Toy Story story. Toy Story story. story. <laughs> I, oh, man. I have a Toy Story 3 story real quick. Hit me. I was sort of dating this girl. My So this came out my sophomore year of college. And I was sort of dating this girl. And I'm like, yeah, we'll go see Toy Story. It's a cute little Disney movie. And we'll we'll have a good time. 
when I was a kid, I have a brother who's seven years older than I am, and I wanted so badly to be best friends with my brother. And he's seven years mm-hmm. old. He's a sixteen-year-old, like a nine-year-old. Like, like, okay, uh, uh, well, go away. Like, that's um, <laughs> like he doesn't want to be around me. So I would be in a lot of situations where I would wind up over the summers. Me and my brother are home. He stiff arms me from hanging out with him. And now I'm upstairs with, with my with my toys and my stuffed animals and my, my Power Rangers and all the stuff I had. So I had a very like vivid imagination where I had a very strong connection to these toys when I was growing up. And so this scene where Andy gives away his toys, like I put myself in that position and I'm on this date with this girl and I am sobbing, dude. Not like one <laughs> tear not like one tear just like trickling down like dude full-blown shoulder shake sobbing like last date with this girl uh uh, (laughs) and if i'm power ranking these for them like how hard they wrecked me this one's right near the top right and and uh i just i i the i will go sailing no more stinks for buzz you know but it's like dude like you should have been knowing like they've been trying to tell you uh, and I've been there too, but the the Andy giving away his toys hit me in a place that not a lot of movies have ever hit me, because it yeah. was so unique to how I kind of grew up. Right. I think that's where the line's drawn for me is that I didn't have quite the connection with the scene of Buzz realizing he's a toy because we've all realized he's a toy, and I like the dr- dramaticness of him like attempting and falling and being like quite literally broken on the ground mm-hmm. is sad, but also expected because we right. know he's a toy. So it, that shock value is also being taken away. I don't know. I, it's going to be Andy giving away his toys here for me, Chris. Well, I feel like I should just save time here, but I was going to go, <laughs> and I will time. go sailing no more because, um, it's my favorite Toy Story moment of the oh. entire franchise. I do think, like I said, Randy Newman's just fine singing a sad song. Um, <laughs> I I think this is a tragic moment. I think Fallen Hero is is extremely tragic and sad. This character who we kind of like because he's Woody's character foil. He's the guy who's not afraid to stand up to Woody's BS. We, we <laughs> like that he's like, I don't care. I'll do whatever I want. I'm a space ranger. We yeah. like that about him. And this is the moment where he loses that. He, his character is changed for the rest of Toy Story everything after this one moment. Like Buzz Lightyear died and was reborn as Mrs. Nesbitt. Right here. And like, <laughs> I like, think he still has the space ranger like courage and bravery from here on out like he doesn't lose that aspect of himself now he just literally doesn't think he's on a different planet and needs to he has had a brush with mortality and he's just more safety conscious probably um i will admit there are times where the sequence does feel corny for example when woody's voiceover comes in he's like you're a toy you can't fly (laughs) it's like it's like do we do we need that i think i think we got it yeah we understand what's happening (laughs) but for some reason like every time i'm watching toy story i say that line along with it because it's just so tacky but the shot of buzz like standing on the handrail and he flips open the wings and he's like um kind of like framed by the yeah. window i think it's, yeah. it's such a good pixar shot this is early pixar so i think if that same sequence had been done now it would have been a little bit more artistic balanced a little better 
but um it's artsy it's it's cool and they give you just enough of a moment where you think he might right like, yeah. Okay, yeah like so that split the, second and the music the music goes up too it yeah. goes but no it can't be true i could fly if i wanted to and it's like yes buzz <laughs> yes <laughs> you can um so some other things I really like about it, um, right? The tease, uh, the pullout. So after he f- is laying there on the ground, uh, it's like a spiral pullout up. Uh, and that's just really cool. I like that shot. And it's, it also sets up the climax where Buzz does fly, basically. Um, right. It's set up at the beginning, and then it's revisited here, and then it's kind of paid off at the very end. So I think... The I Will Go Sailing No More sequence is just so good. And for Pixar's first attempt at like a sad moment in their move in a feature length movie, this is it. This was their first try. And I think they did a really good job. They hit like an inside the park home run, probably. So I am going officially with I Will Go Sailing No More, which means Kyle Madsen, officially, you must break this tie. Yeah, I've got just because of the way, I mean, I can't really argue with the filmmaking aspects of all this, like, because you have the knowledge of that and I don't, I'm going with the one that made me sob uncontrollably while on a date. Uh, So Andy giving away his toys gets a W for me, but I've noticed you have three upsets here. You, you personally have 16, nine and 13 all going through. Hey, you know, in an earlier episode, when we discussed Pixar, Kyle Skinner goes, I'm learning. We are not Pixar compatible, which, It's true. Um, there might be a couple of things where we match up on, but largely, well, I don't know what it is, man. We just, yeah. well, we just don't. I went, I went in looking at this, and I was like, oh, man, these are all wipeouts. But you've given very valid arguments to both uh, Merida's mom not changing and I will go sailing no more to the yeah. point that I'm not changing my mind, but it really made me consider it. It's the idea sure. of the pod. Let's go ahead and move on to the final matchup on the left side of our bracket in the round of 16. The number five seed, Coral's Death, the beginning of Finding Nemo, versus the number 12 seed, Mother Eating Baby Bow, Lil Bow Bow, in the Bow Short. Um, I'll do this one quick. Although I don't like inciting incidents as deaths, um, this Baby Bow thing, the part that doesn't sit well with me is because this is a short film, this mother character, we don't really know her, and she makes this really stupid decision to eat the baby bow. And it's, like, hard to sympathize with her in that moment when she's, like, crying in the bed. It's like, dude, you just ate your child. Like, I, that was really dumb. I don't know. <laughs> wow, you want me to be sad for you? It's like anti-cannibalism pod. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm. I. it's touching to see, like, a grieving parent over the loss of a child, but um, it's not not as sad as the death of Coral. Yeah, and you just said it. It's really sad to see a parent depressed over losing a child, which we learn is due to like moving out, essentially. She's ex- experiencing uh, empty nest syndrome, and it's super sad, and you'd never want to imagine your own parent feeling that way. But uh, it's not enough here to overthrow Coral's death. So uh, we're just going to move move right along. We're hopping across the bracket. It's number two, Ellie's death from Up versus number 15, Lightning's Crash and Cars 3. 
it's it's Ellie's death here for me, Chris. I don't care enough about Cars, nor do I care enough about Cars Three, especially rewatching it this most recent time for this bracket, to care that he crashes. He's just not as sympathetic of a character throughout this entire saga to begin with. He's he's awful in the first one. He has to. It's that kind of like it's that typical sports story arc where it's like star athlete has to meet up with this bum team and then carry them to greatness along with them, but also learn to be humble. It's hard to really sympathize with that character. Um, And here him crashing to begin the movie is it's not, it's not enough to overthrow even a death at the beginning of a movie. Right. And you've just talked about how you're not a big fan of it, but here, like, and we talked about this, in the best Pixar bracket where like this 15 minute short would have been, we would have put it into the anomalies of time in the best Pixar short bracket. If it was just that because of all it does, but we'll hop into it if it moves on here, but Ellie's moving on for me. Yeah. uh, I like that Kyle Madsen hinted at this earlier, how the crash in, the beginning of cars three is like symptomatic of the franchise Uh, (laughs) and like cars two was just so bad and cars three was announced like like, why (laughs) so so the crash to start the movie i was happy to see it because i was like okay now this movie's gonna be about something like right it's not great but at least we have like something to work with we have a goal and like a simple plot that has some humanity behind it um so i i will tip my cap to that moment but uh yeah like you said we don't care about lightning mcqueen maybe some little kids out there do um if there are any like younger listeners go ahead and uh send us an email but lightning mcqueen is jerk face yeah, that scene goes hard, though. It also directly just rips off Talladega Nights. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Like, come on. It does, it does. and I. But I do, that scene, uh, that's the scene that they used in the teaser when they announced Cars 3. And I was like, oh, we're getting dark for Cars yeah. 3. And it was, like, phenomenal. That scene and how it's shot and yeah. every time, I mean, Pixar ups their animation game, right? And so the effects that they put into creating this crash commendable it's amazing Incredible. but it's not it's not a saddest moment the ellie dying so i went real quick sidebar i used to work at a movie theater when up came out and i had okay. driven from brentwood to sacramento it's like an hour and a half to do a radio show did my radio show and then had some time to kill before my shift at the movie theater started so i went and saw up because i went pixar movie great way to kill a couple hours it'll be <laughs> fine and that first scene it's like they're growing up and getting married. This is awesome. And then they just pull your heart out of your chest and then punch you in the face while holding your heart. And that's rude. Don't do that. So this, this Ellie dying is an all-time devastating scene because it's so like you're expecting a Disney movie to follow a certain path. And you're expecting Carl and Ellie are going to be the two protagonists of this movie. And then Ellie just gets wiped out. And that was such a, I was 18, 19 years old. That was such a deviation from what I was expecting in that moment that again, I've seen up that one time because that scene just (laughs) 
I, I, I don't want to experience that emotion again uh, because of how much it affected me. So uh, Ellie's death gets the W here. All right, let's move along to our next matchup, the number seven seed, Booze Door Shreddage versus the number 10 seed, the toys getting nearly incinerated in Toy Story 3. Okay, so so Booze Door goes through uh, destruction. <laughs> it is <laughs> shredded, but not before Sully has to say goodbye to Boo. Um, this is kind of a complicated moment in Monsters, Inc. Because the whole goal, the whole point of this movie is to get Boo back home. Right. And so you're rooting for that to happen throughout Monsters, Inc. Uh, and then when it actually happens, it feels extremely bittersweet. And this moment where Sully has to say goodbye to Boo is what makes Monsters, Inc., a top two Pixar movie, in my oh opinion. My <laughs> wow! <laughs> so, I, mean, I cannot right, say that this aside, moment... You've got Monsters, Inc. to... Where did you have Brave at five? Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, I got so Brave, Brave at, at five. five. I'm getting your full <laughs> yeah. top five before we're out of here. Keep going. <laughs> so, so this moment isn't entirely sad, in my opinion, just because your goal is conquered. But it is complicated, and you do have feelings of sadness attached to it when Boo has to say goodbye to Sully. Um, one thing I really like about this is it is probably the most prolonged sad moment on this bracket. Yeah. Sully says goodbye to Boo, and then you have a whole, like, Five, seven minutes after it where Sully has to like live in that sadness. Um, he's the manager of the laugh floor and he's got the little clipboard. It's got a little sliver from Boo's door. He's got the drawing on it. And so you see Sully having achieved the success, but he's still very sad. Um, and so it makes the audience feel really like unsure. It's like this story's not over yet. Like they reached their goal, but like something's missing here. I'm not happy about this. Right. And so um, I don't think we can talk about the shredding of the door without talking about the reconstruction of the door, which is in itself a reflection of Mike and Sully's friendship. So this concept of the door has a lot of different relationships um, and a lot of different like story elements working here. So it's it's a great way to end the movie. Incredible like 10 minute finale in Monsters Inc. Then we got the toys near death experience. They almost die. I mean, this is the all is lost moment in in Toy Story 3. So they're in a garbage chute. Uh, I don't know what kindergarten trash chute leads Bro, directly to an incinerator. <laughs> but the toys jumped out a trash chute in a kindergarten and end up in an incinerator. The big issue for this moment for me is that it just doesn't it doesn't stew at all. Like it's like a sixty second thing. It's done well in those sixty seconds. I compare this moment to Titanic, which is like I would say the saddest moment in film history is like the old people in Titanic who are like cuddling in the bed while the water's coming under the door. Like that's that's this here with the toys. Yeah. And they're all looking each other dead in the yeah. eyes, not saying anything, but they're like it's nice knowing you, and then they all link hands and like, it's powerful, but it's just not long enough for me. So I'm going with Boo's door. 
The issue with Booze Door for me is that that's not the relationship I cared about throughout Monsters, Inc. And mm. I know that's like that was like the goal of the entire movie was like Mike and Sully working together to get Boo back home. But that that moment isn't it's, it's not sad to me. You brought it up. It's like that. This is the end goal. It's heartwarming. It's heartwarming that Sully cares so much about Boo that he's a little depressed that he has to bring her back but it's not i just don't think it's sad enough to be the saddest moment and you just brought up you just compared toy story 3 to the moment in titanic of that realization like this is the end and at least we're here to comfort each other like that's so sad that's like we talk about we've talked about this in past episodes what a good job pixar does of conveying a storyline or feelings without any words they do a really good yeah. job of humanizing objects, of um, humanizing literal emotions like you see in Inside Out. Like they do a great job of those types of things that you just know what's happening without an actor needing to portray it. And that's it's on prize. It's on a pedestal here. Yeah, because the, the toys looking at each other and making eye contact and you see the panic in Jesse's eyes. She looks at Buzz. Buzz gives her a very, it's not comforting, but it's like a reassuring, like, it's okay. We're all going to do this together. We're all together for this at the very least. That connection just brings like the, brings you out of like, these are toys into like, these are characters that we care about deeply who have emotions that we can relate to. So what Sully returning boo feels like is like a parent dropping off their kid to kindergarten for the first time (laughs) it's it's like sad but you know it's what has to be done while with toy story like the the acceptance of fate and the acknowledgement of in of certain doom and just the everyone having to look at each other and holding their hands like it just it hits you in the chest slaps you across the face it's because i I'm going Toy Story 3 here, which means we're going back to Kyle for the tiebreaker. For for me, the toys nearly being incinerated was a lot like the scenes. Uh, Avengers Infinity War, spoiler alert, by the way, if you want to skip it. <laughs> it's a lot like the end of Infinity War where it sucks. And, you know, and obviously Infinity War, you had time between the movies, so you had had longer time to sink in, whereas the the toys in Toy Story 3 get saved pretty quickly. But it's the same sensation where it's that feeling of hopelessness. And even though the finality of it might not be permanent, that feeling of hopelessness is something where you just don't want to experience that. You want to avoid feeling like there's nothing you can do. And that was what the toys experienced in that moment. And Kyle, you said it where their faces, Pixar does such a good job of animating their faces in a way where you see, they know it's over. And had it not been for the aliens, uh, they, they were, (laughs) I mean, it was, it was done. There was no way out. So in that moment, I, I, I I don't know how far this will go beyond this round, but between Boo's door and the toys nearly getting incinerated, the, the, the toys are the one uh for for me because it's it's that 
that crushing feeling of not being able to do anything and that yeah that sticks it's definitely a good moment it's just a little quick for my fancy but i I, of the ones that i disagree with here that's probably the one i have least problem with i will say this right now guys toy story is killing it in this bracket dude toy story is emotional man (laughs) it's there's a lot of a toy story bias here but let's go ahead and move on to what I'm most excited about. <laughs> <laughs> it's number three, Remember Me Reunion from Chris's favorite Pixar movie, Coco. Okay, Verse number 14. <laughs> Verse number 14, Wally, when he loses his memory trying to save the day. I spent, so in preparation for this bracket, Chris, I probably spent the most brain power and just like back and forth on this matchup for whatever reason. And it's because we've talked about remember me so often in this podcast life. We've talked about it in the best Pixar movie. We've talked about it in it's been brought up in the best dogs episode. It was brought up in the best song. Like we've talked about this scene to wit's end. So I don't know that I need to dive in too deep into it i just gave everybody reference point for literally every other remember me conversation but what makes it sad and emotional is everyone's connection or maybe you don't have this connection but a connection to a family member and essentially what you think could be their last moments um but also the feeling of like i have one more chance to try something and giving it your all and the song is just sad. So the moment's really touching. It's very sad because you feel like Miguel is literally singing to a woman who is just not there. Yeah. Um, Mama Coco obviously comes out of it and sings along with him, which is not sad to me. It's really touching. Like that's that moment is super touching that he was able to like reconnect and make mama coco remember remember where she is one where she came from who her dad is like all of these questions that we've had throughout this movie that miguel's figured out and then you get the a lot of like the pan over to uh, miguel's grandmother who's like trying to stop it all and there's also that like kind of family struggle between like what Miguel loves which is music which turns out to be what he knows is right and also like having to disobey those he loves so that kind of internal struggle I guess you can also pile on to like the um the weight of this moment but like I said I think this moment is a lot more touching to me than it is sad um Wally losing his memory that is sad to me that this scene starting from when he's like trying to hold up the vessel that is supposed to go back into the ground that's supposed to take the plant sample in we see him like get crushed like he snaps you hear it you see him just bend in half it's honestly a little shocking and then eve is able to get the the vessel back up and Wally slumps over cracked in half or whatever. And she has to fix him. But what's so heart wrenching is like Wally cared so much about Eve that him, we've worked this entire movie up with Wally trying to impress and do 
the best in what he thinks Eve needs and wants. He's he's there for Eve. This movie is Wally for Eve. And all of that to with his memory completely erased. And Eve while she's been concerned with doing her job this entire movie has obviously formed a connection with Wally and you see that in the space dance and they share that kiss and Wally floats away. So, you know, Eve cares about him and her trying to like resurrect Wally and then Wally not recognizing her is just, it's so heart wrenching to me because now not only do we not get to see Wally enjoy this moment of Eve also like obviously loving him back but now we see Eve having to like go through this grieving process of maybe never getting Wally back again obviously it's a Pixar movie so like Wally comes back um, when a memory is sparked but the scene that really kind of just sent me the moment that sent me in all of this is when Eve gives up and she's just like I for like one last time I'm just gonna hold your hand and like forces her hand into Wally's man that is just it's it's like oh man it's it's so sad and I was so happy to see Wally wake up and remember even like go back to his usual self and that that moment is just so you're like you go from like the bottom of this pit of despair which we'll talk about in a little bit to just the heights of you're so relieved. So Chris, for me, I have the upset Wally <laughs> having his memory erased is moving on in this one for me past, oh my God. past mama Coco. Dude, you just completely blew up my spot. Right <laughs> oh no. I literally have an entire page. Absolutely undressing that scene in Coco. Like uh, Matt Olson, three Oh count about to put, <laughs> Mama Coco into the treehouse. I love that Bomo gives him the green light on 3-0, by the way. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going to launch this scene out into the stratosphere. Um, this is the most cringe scene I've ever seen in a uh, movie. Okay. This, well, this Oh, my God. Mama I'm quitting Coco. this podcast. I'm done. I said I was <laughs> going right? to be here the whole time. I'm out. I'm out. I'm wearing Kyle, a Dante you, shirt. This is unbelievable. Listen, Kyle nailed it. He said... This makes me think of a losing a grandparent that maybe I have or haven't had that experience. You have to bring this to the table for you to really feel this moment. Not everyone has that. But in Wally, they are able to create that emotional response in you within the confines of the film. And that is so much more difficult and so much more effective. Um, so here's some other reasons why I think that uh, the Remember Me reunion sequence is cringe, right? <laughs> I didn't say cringe, but... I don't really understand how this music band thing works in this family, all right? Remember Me, in the fictional world of Coco, is like one of the most popular songs ever in the history of the world, all right? So... Yeah. Or at least in Mexico. Right. So it seems like, you know, Mama Coco would have heard the song before. <laughs> like, besides <laughs> well, being on her deathbed. Have. Okay, so okay, so let's assume that Mama Himelda, as soon as Hector died, yeah, like locked, locked Coco in a closet, <laughs> and she never left the room. 
Okay, first of all, someone would have to come in here because Mama Coco had children. Second of all, <laughs> at some point, Mama Imelda has to die. So someone has to, like, reinforce and uphold the music ban. And it's not going to be Mama Coco because when Miguel plays her the song, she's like, oh, Papa, I love you. She's not like, don't play that song, the music ban. <laughs> she has, like, positive association with the song. So, like... When I'm watching this scene play out, the first time I see Coco, I'm like, why is, like, this makes no sense at all. Like, I don't understand the family tree and the music band. The concept is, like, overly complicated, all right? So why am I thinking about the logic of this thing as opposed to just thinking about the actual, like, effect on the characters, which is what I'm supposed to be thinking about? It's because Coco's a terrible movie, and oh, the characters in Coco are poorly written. Wow. Okay, who, wow. who has, listen, okay, Holy if you can some, smokes. so if you can somehow connect the dots on the music band thing, okay, uh, you, you can have that, but I don't care about Miguel or Coco or Hector, all right? All of the characters in this situation allegedly have something to lose, but they haven't been developed at all in the movie. They're completely flat characters, all right? The movie spends too much time like making Hector seem like a creep. Like 80% of the movie, Hector is this creep guy. And like, you're supposed to like in the last like 20 minutes, be like, Oh no, he's going to die. Play the song. <laughs> I, and I just like, I don't like that guy. I don't really care if he like fades off into dust. Mama Coco. I've seen her once. Miguel doesn't matter. Like Miguel has nothing to lose other than like, Maybe he would get in trouble for playing music. Clearly, Miguel does what he wants anyway. <laughs> so this scene has absolutely no purpose whatsoever other than to try to make us cry. This is Pixar emotionally pandering to the audience. This movie's better without it. Um, sorry. <laughs> Kyle Madsen just like staring blankly at the camera. I have been Partly keeping that I'm in for so long. Wasted, but that's fine. <laughs> So, um, that is a long way of saying that I agree with you, Kyle. The memory erasure in Wally is so tragic. And to me, it's because Wally represents a very pure good, a loving, completely selfless robot. Wally takes place in, like you said, this dystopian dark world. And there's this one shining light named Wally. And after all these years, he's doing his job on Earth still compact and trash he sacrificed himself to save the axiom which is filled with all these selfless people flying around on hover chairs um <laughs> and it's the love and the selflessness that kills wally and like he has his entire identity stripped from him and it's just like we we could talk about this forever because there's also like the idea that like memory is associated with identity and you're nothing without your memories and, like blah blah blah, blah. right we don't have to beat a dead horse. It's Wally, Kyle Madsen. Uh, what are your? This thoughts? is unbelievable. First of all, <laughs> uh, I was not expected. Okay, first let let's just get. I want to I want to get this out of the way. Please. Fourteen is a criminally low ranking or seed for yeah. Wally losing his memory. So these yeah. Karens that you spoke to that are mad about the <laughs> the freaking castle need to figure it out. Because here's the deal, all right? Wally losing his memory is 
sadder than Merida's mom not changing. That's the 16 seed. Arlo's dad dying. That's the 8 seed. Barley hugging his dad. That's the 9 seed. The 13, the 5, 12, 15, 7, 10, and 11 are undoubtedly less sad than Wally losing his memory. And so I think that might have factored in to my decision. I moved Remember Me on here because for me, it was a culmination of the entire, of, of everything that's happened in the movie. And it felt like a final goodbye for Mama Coco where she was... And I do agree. This is something I've always had a problem with. I love Coco. I'm wearing a Dante shirt right now. But uh, I I do think that Coco's connection to the family was a little bit uh, undersold or uh, like underdeveloped. But uh, having a connection with a grandparent, that felt like the final like goodbye where she was remembering that that memory with her dad before she peaced out. And then when they, you know, cut to the last scene where she's a ghost and Miguel hasn't aged that much. So Mama Coco died fairly quickly after this. <laughs> and that to me is what hit me because I, you're expecting Mama Coco to be dead and to not sing back. And then, and maybe if you're zoomed out and you're, you're not watching and caught up in the emotion, you know, she's going to do that. But for me, I was so caught up in the emotion of it. I was not expecting her to start singing. And then she does. And so it feels like that final, like, oh, yeah, and she's remembering everything, and she's going to die in this happier place than she was in. So for me, that's why Remember Me hit me so hard. But then you get into the idea and something that that Chris brought up, and Kyle, you also brought up in your very well-thought-out arguments, um, that it's not so much sad as it is sweet. And I think when you talk about that soul crushing, like I want to fast forward through this part. And I've talked about that before where uh, I skip a part of a movie because I just don't want to experience that emotion. I try and stay kind of on the up and up. I'm not going to fast forward through that part of Coco because it's ultimately the climax of the movie. And there's a different emotion than I guess sadness. I cried very hard at that part. I watched it a second (laughs) time expecting to not. Uh, I watched it alone, bawled my eyes out. I live tweeted it. Um, and then I watched it again with my mom and her, uh, with, with my girlfriend and her mom and bawled my eyes out again. Uh, and maybe this is because of, uh, deep emotional connections I have with my grandparents or, or whatever it is. But, um, I had this moving on probably because of a lot of bias, but I fully accept Wally losing his memory moving on here. I think it's criminally underseated. And I think you guys did this on purpose, or I think the Karens did this. On purpose, I think the people who didn't like the castle painting did this on purpose. They got together at their hating the castle painting meeting because they also hate Coco. And I think they did this and seated Coco against this because they didn't want Coco to move on. And so they picked a deliberately more sad scene to put up against it. So they underseated Wally losing his memory just so they could wipe Coco out in the first round. I think that's wrong. But it is what it is, and we can move on to the next matchup. I feel that this has this was an unjust seating. <laughs> the Wally tank. Wow. And um, to be fair, I've defended Coco to the end in I this love podcast history. Yeah. I think it's I think it's a great movie. Chris brings up totally valid points of like how didn't like Mama Coco hear the song in her entire existence. Sure. But um, yeah, it's just the the seating here really 
ruined it for for Coco. But all right, guys, let's go ahead and you, bring though. this thing home. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll finish it off with the number six seed, Bing Bong's death. From Inside Out versus the oh, number 11 seed, Dory begging Marlon to stay. If you thought this was going to be an easy finish to the bracket, you are wrong because we are going to talk about another Pixar movie, which is trash, and that's Inside Out, and Bing Bong is trash. <laughs> um, I don't care what you say. Bing Bong is a sus individual. Bing Bong has Why was he stealing the memories? motives. What was he doing? Okay, listen. This is this is the entire problem with Inside Out, Okay. Bing, Bing Bong, Bong wants to be relevant. Bing Bong wants clout inside of Riley's head, okay? And so they don't <laughs> spell this out. They don't spell it out at all. But Bing Bong's stealing memories, and it like the way I interpreted Inside Out when I was watching it for the first time, Bing Bong is going to steal memories, raid headquarters, and create <laughs> Bing Bong memories as prime memories so that he will he can like live in headquarters forever. Which uh, might like, hijack Riley's out. brain. I mean, yeah. I assume that's what it is. And uh, I interpreted Bing Bong leading sadness and joy through the abstract thought as intentional, like he was trying to lose them. Hmm. Okay? And so when Bing, Bong, when Bing Bong dies, I interpret that as a redemptive moment for a villain. <laughs> Interesting. I was like, I kind of oh, did too. Yeah. The bad guy did something good. Like he went out honorably. So... I'm just like. He's also dressed it, like a bad guy. It's so weird, right. and, and even it, like, let's say he's a good guy, and he was just a naive sidekick. That's not effective either. I mean, it's a cheap dramatic moment. I'm not buying it either way. Don't like it. Dory begging Marlon to stay. This is a great moment. Um, it is a lot like the moment where the mom eats the bow in bow. Mm-hmm. Marlon walks away from Dory, and we aren't mad at Marlon. We know he can do better. We know he's a better fish than that because we've seen flashes of his acceptance. We've seen him on the jellyfish, right? We've seen him trust Dory when they go into the whale mouth. So when we see that happen, we're like, oh, this guy's a dumb fish. It's like, dude, come on, man. Like, come on. The difference is, doing? though, like, he thinks Nemo's dead. But we know right. Nemo's alive. Right. But so either, a... either way, it's dealing with that theme we talk about a lot with Finding Nemo. It's, it's Marlon the fish with too much control. Like, he yeah. has issues, trust, he has trust issues. And so, like, this is a moment for him to say, I permanently accept you, Dory, as a friend, no matter how chaotic you are. Um, and it's nice to have both sides of this where Dory has some stuff at stake here, too. She says, yeah. when I'm with you, I'm home. When I'm with you, I remember things. So I, it's, it's tragic at high stakes on both ends. It's a great uh, dark all-is-lost moment. Easy advance for me over uh, sus bing-bong. Chris, I'm with you. Dory's moving on here as well. It's a, it's such a... I'm going to continue to use this word heart-wrenching moment because Dory has always shown optimism and here she's showing how actually vulnerable she is. Yeah. She's not happy-go-lucky all the time. She's actually like battling these inner demons and masking it with that happy-go-lucky personality. And here, when all hope is lost, you see that seep through. It's so sad because you're rooting. You love the energy Dory brings to this entire movie. You agree with her most of the time. I know that you dropped the bomb 
uh, a few episodes ago that just keep swimming means nothing if you're not swimming towards anything, which blew my mind. And I totally agree with you now, but like that mindset even fits here. Like for her, she, all she knows is just keep swimming because she doesn't really remember where she's come from and she has no idea where she's going to end up, but she's going to have a good time along the way. So to see her in this down and out mode is so tragic to the viewer uh bing bong any moment of sacrifice in a movie is very sad especially if it's if it's a character to maybe not somebody that's looked into his character as much as like we have where like we love bing bong because he's silly he's an imaginary character who is great friends with um riley but uh it was also kind of like obvious that he was going to do that um and it also like with him gone I wasn't sad for the rest of the movie. You know, it didn't affect me kind of like Jesse being abandoned affected me. And I'm not saying I sat in the rest of Toy Story 2 sulking and sad, like thinking about the two and a half minutes I've spent thinking about <laughs> Jesse's backstory. But like Bing Bong was a flash in the pan of Inside Out and it was not anything compared to the feelings Dory went through. So I'm also moving Dory along here as well kyle we go to you for some reaction so i thought when i watched the movie that because as you mentioned at the top of the podcast i had not seen inside out because i've been in a space in my in my life since that movie was released where i'm trying to avoid actively being sad and (laughs) i watched a trailer and went that movie's gonna wreck my life i don't want to watch it but it it is fine i liked it but i thought maybe bing bong dying didn't hit me as hard because i saw it on the bracket and knew it was coming Mm, but as i mentioned earlier i knew how coco ended and that still made me cry i had literally seen the whole movie before and it still hit me and i think what you guys mentioned there is is all very spot on you just don't get attached to bing bong like he says like oh yeah we used to hang out it was great but you don't there, there's no like real attachment to him as a character. And he says, take her to the moon for me. Like, okay, fine. But that was never really a thing until Bing Bong kind of just brought it up. And I didn't have a chance. Stop trying to make the moon happen, Bing Bong. Yeah. It's not going to happen. <laughs> right. No, but seriously, like you don't have a chance to tether your heart to, to that character and then have it ripped away. And so it's like we talked about wind earlier and wind just missing the dance. I think wind has a more effective moment like this yes. than than Bing Bong dying does, where it's the character sacrificing themselves for the better of, of a young person. And that's where I, I saw wind before I saw this, and wind was like, man, that was heavy. Like, I'm good mm-hmm. on ever watching wind again because it made me feel emotions <laughs> I try to avoid. But Bing Bong dying was like, oh, okay. Like it's stuck. Yeah. Like it was. It was. It was a sad portion of the movie. I wasn't happy about it, but right. I, it didn't. It didn't affect me emotionally the way even a short like wind did. So I think if you swap those moments and you put wind here, I think it has a better argument than that uh, against Dory begging Marlin to say than Bing Bong dying does. Um, yeah. So I'm. I'm also. I'm cool with Dory moving along here because. Uh, Chris, you make a great point. Like we never see that side of Dory, and then all of a sudden she's she's uh, lost in in a way that we don't see her throughout the movie. So 
I, I think that's the right choice. All right, folks. Well, we've got our Elite Eight matchup set. We've got When She Loved Me versus Barley hugging his dad, Andy giving away his toys versus Coral's death, Ellie's death versus the toys near death, and Wally's memory erasure versus Dory and Marlin's near permanent separation. Uh, thank you so much, Kyle Madsen, for joining us this week. We look forward to uh, speaking with you next week. Yeah, this was a lot of fun, and I'm very much looking forward to talking with you guys again. I had a blast. Well, everyone out there, you know how to reach us. You can send us a tweet at MouseMadnessPod. You can send us an email at MouseMadnessPodcast at gmail.com. You can join our Discord server, which is linked in the description of this podcast, as well as our Facebook community. We'd love to interact with you. And we, uh, yeah, we, we're a few spoonfuls uh, deep here, but um, we look forward to a few more next time. Take care, everyone.